Pittsburgh firing their coach, which I could have gone on a tangent on for no, years. We've actually had a two two strong shows where we're very much Nashville Predators centric. You, you want to know uh, how how little I care about the Penguins? I didn't even know that happened. Really? <laughs> oh, wow. Now they uh, they fired Johnson. They're going to bring the guy that, who's their coach used to coach the Bruins, I believe. Mm-hmm. He has one of the fewest amounts of, of actual games coached at any level compared to the rest of the league. Yeah, he brought the Bruins to a division title though, mm-hmm. at least twice. I think I can't remember his, those two seasons that he played or just the one. Um, but how oh, is no one giving Mike Keenan a job? Imagine Mike Keenan with that team. Yes. What what I really wanted to happen is I wanted them to hold on to Mike Johnson so long to where it was like. Almost attainable for them to make the playoffs, but you knew it wasn't going to happen. Fire Mike Johnson, then hire Adam Oates. And I would have just been, like, as happy as a pig in... Welcome back. It's 2016. This is the Predcast presented by OnTheForeCheck.com, brought to you by Lions Own Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. Uh, we all put in some travel miles, and that's the reason why you haven't heard from us in a good while. Uh, I went down to the Panhandle of Florida and down to Orange County in Florida. Link went up to God's Country. Is that what they call God, it? I thought that was Nashville. I thought it was Florida, but your definition, <laughs> God's Country, uh, the historic Pennsylvania area. I'm sticking with Nashville. Okay. All but right. no, I went. I went. I went to my ancestral grounds of uh, of of Allentown, Pennsylvania, nice. and my my old land up there. Saw all sorts of family that I don't ever see except for once a year. So that's always really really nice. And John, you went back up to Nova, and then you went to Raleigh. That is correct. And it was a stop in D.C. and Nashville. Hmm. In nice. between, okay. Spent so much time at airports. Oh my god! Yeah, you, it, I was oh, catching up with your Twitter feed there. It was it looked pretty chaotic. I was going crazy for a little bit, so I had two flights cancel on me: a Sunday night flight and then a Monday night flight. And then, so to get back from Nashville after Christmas, I had to rent a car and drive from Dulles Airport to Nashville Airport, and then immediately turn around and do my trip to North Carolina. That drive on eighty one is soul crushing. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And that's like the one of the worst drives. There's like the 40 from Nashville to Memphis, and that's pretty soul crushing. But 81 is. It's because you, you have to go through Bristol. There's like there's literally well, Bristol is the only landmark until you well, hit Knoxville. I mean, 81 from I would say once you you know coming down once you get past DC down to Tennessee, then when you hit the Tennessee border, is a pretty nice drive. But well, I mean, you get Virginia is a gorgeous <laughs> state to drive through, and, and it's fun to drive through the Carolinas and things like that. Um, but I don't mind that one. I've done, I did that a bunch, the, the Chattanooga to Philly haul. I think it's one of those things I've done it so much recently within the past two years. It's just as after I passed James Madison university where my brother went to school. So I did that drive. My a dad lot. went to his master's there. All right. Um, after Oops. that, it's like you do nothing until you hit Bristol. Then it's like Bristol. Goodbye. And then Eaten nothing. Kudzu. Yeah. Kudzu both sides of <laughs> in the interstate. Yeah. Kudzu just destroys everything. It destroys path. everything. There used to be a restaurant in Chattanooga years ago called the Kudzu Grill. Did not last. I imagine why. Which is ironic. The One of the more soul-crushing drives for me is going from Atlanta down to uh, uh, Lake City, Florida. There's like nothing in between. There's like Valdosta is the only thing in between. And you can bypass Valdosta. Is That's that the, the place where path. you say that is That's that was coast. put there on this earth so that God could test your patience? To see how bad you wanted to go see your relatives in Florida. Yes. <laughs> 
Uh, not badly enough, I imagine. So we all went to see. We want to all went to go see uh, hockey games over the break, right? I saw three games in two in the week that I was gone. It was great. I made my second ever trip to uh, downtown Allentown to see the Lehigh Valley Phantoms play in their gorgeous little something like some, was it almost nine thousand like eight hundred seat arena. Does it have a jumbotron in the center? or Does it have it on the sides? It's got. It's in the. It's a normal. In the middle. Oh, cool. The, yeah. one, the one in uh, Gwinnett uh, has the... Well, this this, this facility is nice. only... I think this is the second season they've been there. So we're talking brand new facility in the heart of Allentown, which it's, is... Because uh, they relocated from Adirondack, right? They, they relocated from Philadelphia to Adirondack to, Le- to, to the Lehigh Valley. Um, and like any team that's in Allentown, they always go by the Lehigh Valley name. So it's always the Lehigh Valley Phantoms, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Um, well, because of the steel industry, they pigs of iron oh and but their mascot is in fact a pig made out of iron they have bacon on their uniforms john they do sometimes it's, bacon awesome. On their uniforms. it's awesome do they do scratch and sniff they might i don't I every don't know. time it's someone minor league <laughs> baseball they should every time someone hit, gets checked you they, hear a sizzle they do dip entire ears of corn and butter and roll in parmesan cheese and give it to you no thanks Dan, yeah, was that sound fantastic? I'm, that yeah. sounds great. I mean, I'm all, I was on board. My dad Where's showed it to inner, me. He's like, "There we go." I'm where set. Where's your inner Texas State Fair patron? Right Not now. anywhere close to where I'm sitting right now. Okay, so let's start with your uh, start with your field trip there. Uh, well, I have to I have to make one note though about the travel because you know, John was talking about his travel. I got I got supremely lucky, which I got the exact opposite of John. When I was le- flying out, I was flying out the same day Wednesday. Yeah, which was the day that massive storm was supposed to hit. So we're getting ready to board. The first group are already going on, and they call for, uh, they say, we're, we're canceling it. Um, you know, and, and we knew this was coming because literally there was someone with a walkie-talkie, and it started saying, hey, we have an emergency, you know, we, and, and the guy, like, immediately turns the sound off and, like, puts it up to his head. Uh, and they say, well, there's going to be a two-hour delay, and at that two-hour delay, I'm like, I'm going to go find John because we're going to be stuck here for eternity. Uh, and then we're all sitting there, we're all depressed, and then they say, well, the captain just came, just called us and said, if we can get everyone on board in less than 20 minutes, we can leave. So you have 150 people from Philadelphia. <laughs> Half of them are wearing flyers gear. And they just said, we can get, we can leave if we can get on the plane in 20 minutes. And so I'm looking around at everybody and I'm just like, you know what? If we're all from Philly, we can do it. It's going to be the non-Philly people who are going to screw us up. And we get on that plane a hundred and fifty people in eight minutes. Vito and eight meant business. minutes. People were cheering. It was wow. inspiring. And then you know where we flew? Philadelphia. That's where we flew that plane. That's so impressive. Because you left at about three, right? Uh, two-ish. Because I two-ish. was uh, my flight was at six forty-five or yeah. something like that, and I like I knew I was going to get delayed or canceled or something like that. And then the weather kept getting pushed back, kept getting pushed back, kept getting pushed back to where they said, you know, 559, all right, everybody, get your asses on the plane. Same idea. We got they, a window, yeah. They essentially, like, shoved everyone, said, this is how you work a seatbelt, that's a door, everyone in, click, okay, let's go. And it was like... There's uh, people hanging on the wings. Yeah, I swear, it was like uh, that scene in the Langoliers where they're taking off <laughs> and the <laughs> runway is, like, dissolving beneath them. Like, that's what the tornado was, because I swear to God, as soon as I landed, it's only, like, a 90-minute flight at most, I'm looking at the uh, at Twitter to see how Nashville is doing. It's like 75 mile an hour winds, hail, like all this other stuff. The three other people who listen to the show who have actually seen the Langoliers just really appreciated that reference. I hope so. What a what a terribly great movie. Full but marks all. As far as the actual game, I mean, this is my second time being there. 
Uh, I mean, the facility is just, it's a beautiful arena. Uh, they preserved some of the old buildings that were there because they, they didn't want to tear down some of the you know, really long-standing historical buildings. So they're they're built in to the arena now, which is always a really cool element where it, where it kind of fits together. Um, I mean, they have a chicken chicken Pete's built right in, and if, you know, Chicken Pete's is one of the Philadelphia institutions. Uh, they actually have a Tim Hortons Weird. inside the arena. It's like a massive full-size Tim Hortons in the arena, hmm. right so, out front. Are is they that, open at ten o'clock on Saturday night? <laughs> yes, they're open for the game. Take that, Columbus! <laughs> Boom. I mean, they were open when we left, um, but yeah, it's actually the the entrance we always go in is the Tim Hortons entrance. So they actually sponsor a whole entrance. That is so is cool. that the only Tim Hortons like in the area? Or I think it's the only other... Tim Hortons in in, in North America. Um, no. I know it's I know it's not Dan. That was a joke. Down boy. <laughs> um, it, well, it's certainly the only one I know of. It, 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 there are about as many Tim Hortons in Pennsylvania as there are like Crystals and White Castles combined, which is one. Um, and that's always really cool. And then seeing Allentown, how it's changed and how it keeps changing every year is always really cool because it used to be just terrible crime ridden. Now there's shops and, and restaurants and there's actual people there not getting shot at. Which is cool. That is really nice. Yeah, and the game itself is always a good time. They do a great job with production. Did you see any players that you recognized? Um, I did see one Taylor Beck. Oh, really? I did. I saw him take. Uh, he took on offensive zone uh, penalty. Well, his team were on the power play. Uh, <laughs> five on four. Then he scored a goal. Yeah. Then he took a second offensive zone penalty when his team was on a five on three power play. He truly is the greatest of all things. And he was playing for the other team. He was playing the for Marlinsport. Um, uh, yeah, Bridgeport Sound Tigers. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right, because he yeah. got traded to the Islanders. Oh. So he, he managed to score a goal, which almost was the game-winning goal, uh, and take two offensive zone penalties while his team were on the power play, which was just some of the finest work I've seen. And last last year when I went up, I got to see Brendan Yip play. Um, he was not nearly as impact uh, impactful as, as Taylor well, Beck was. Surprise, <laughs> surprise, surprise. So, John, you went to uh, D.C. I did. Saw a Caps game. Mm-hmm. Start with that one. Uh, so that was my big Christmas present because I knew that I was going to go to a Caps game because I haven't been uh, to Verizon Center. It was 2012 playoff series versus Boston game three. That was the last time that I went to a Caps game. Um, so I knew I was getting uh, Caps tickets for Christmas. But what my parents didn't tell me is that my dad pulled some uh, connections through his work because he works for a bank that sponsors both the Capitals and the um, Nationals. They give $100 to a kid's charity every time the Capitals score a goal. So he talked with someone else who talked to the local ESPN radio and they got us box seats there um like completely free which was great like no no food like we had to pay for food but a fridge just stocked with beer so we went in got some pizza outside of verizon center because verizon center food is awful and then sat at the game they played the canadians and it was so much fun uh i got to meet rod langway which is really cool he just popped into the booth um yeah so the first capitals power play I was getting ready. I was like, all right, here we go. Let's go. And then one of the usher comes in and he's like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I don't mean to interrupt the Capitals power play, but Hall of Famer and former Caps captain Rod Langway is standing over there and, you know, take pictures, sign autographs, whatever. I'm just vroom, like standing up like, get out of my way. <laughs> he was a good guy. It's gigantic. Yeah, that's all some of the pictures on there, which are on your uh, Twitter account. Then you went to Raleigh for two games. Yes. So uh, how would you compare the game day experience? Because I know Raleigh's a bit different. There's an ocean of concrete around it. It's right next to Carter-Finley Stadium, which is where the NC State Wolfpack plays. So there's a big tailgating scene there when the mm-hmm. Canes are doing well. 
Kings are not doing great this season. We've seen a lot more empty seats, more so than normal. What did you take away from your experience in Raleigh? So the first game that we went to was the Thursday game, the New Year's Eve game against uh, the Capitals. So I got to see Capitals twice in one week. Uh, the weather was awful. It was a little bit cold, but also like that kind of annoying misty rain where it's not coming down on you, Scottish but it's just weather. like, yeah. yeah, it's just terrible to be outside. Uh, so there weren't a whole lot of people like tailgating out or anything like that. Uh, but the... Like, the game day experience is really weird because, like, I mean, it's not like any other place I've been to where it's, like, you know, right downtown or close. It's, like, kind of, like, outside, uh, like, how Glendale is kind of in the middle of nowhere. But at least in Glendale, they've got a bunch of stuff surrounding that area. Bass there's Pro. There's nothing. Even Busters. There's nothing around. Uh, it There was just one bar. Like, it was, like, the Backyard Brick House, the Brick House Brickyard Bistro or something like that. Just this very generic sports bar. Brickyard Beers and Burgers? Uh, I don't, I don't know. Just it's sports bar. Just, Bob's Brickyard yeah, Sports Bar, like Sports Bar USA. That is what that place was. Um, yeah, it was a five minute walk from the arena. It was, uh, it was. I mean, we got some drinks there and everything like that, and then went to the arena. The arena itself is actually very beautiful. Um, I was very suppressed. It's very spacious, very open. Um, as far as the game day experience, I really can't tell a whole lot because I mean, I didn't really run into any Canes fans there. Whoa. Yeah. For either game? Well, for the first game there, there was, like, I literally thought I was going to a Caps home game. And it was hard to differentiate because, you know, each team yeah, wears red. red. Yeah, each team is wearing red. But the first game that we were at, uh, like, outside of the bar and in the bar was just nothing but Caps fans. And I, the announced attendance said it was 14,000. And if there were more than, like, 8,000 Canes fans there, I would have been shocked. Um, so we met a couple, they were okay, I guess. Um, like the first run in that we had with anyone was people telling us that we were in the wrong seats when in fact they were in the wrong seats. That's always um, an adventure. Yeah, it is. Um, then there's hand pass guy. So, um, like, yeah, so th- someone flipped a puck up and in the defense, the Capitals defensive zone, uh, the defenseman flicked the puck away to like the boards, you know, kind of like they do. And someone went to go pick it up and the guys go, that's a hand pass. That's a hand pass. What are they doing? It's like, well, one, not only is that not a hand pass, you are allowed to hand pass in the defensive zone. So, and the Capitals played a terrible game. It was awful. But the next game, uh, a lot of Preds fans there for the most part, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, that's when we met the nicer Raleigh fans that were coming in. They all had questions like they're asking like, oh, kind of like in Columbus, you know how everyone at the All-Star game was like, are you having a good time? Like everything like that. They're like, did you drive in from Nashville? Like, are you from Carolina? Where did you come from? You know, how do you like the city? All that other stuff. And, you know, Raleigh is a beautiful place. I've I've loved everything that you've had. This arena is gorgeous. Awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, we got to sneak down from the 300 levels to the... 100 level because I swear there were even less people there during the Saturday game than there were uh, at the Thursday game. I've been to PNC Arena before too, and the one thing that always throws me out about it is that it has a white ceiling. Yeah, it's it's like almost it's like weird. it reminds me of uh, the Toppers Stadium in uh, at uh, uh, EA Diddle Arena in Bowling yeah. Green where I went to school. Kind of like that weird light colored arena with the rafters and everything like that, which is I mean it looks like a basketball arena but with a hockey rink in it. I went to um, my travels. I went to uh, Tampa, 
and uh, I haven't been to the game, a Lightning game since they did a lot of renovations to the place. And uh, I put up a full diary. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because I put up the whole diary on uh, on OTF. But they have the one of the coolest concourses ever. Uh, they have uh, LCD screens everywhere, so you can number one, if you're even in the upper level, you can keep a good eye on what's going on in the game. Uh, like when you talk, you talk about uh, the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, Link, about how it has culture and history everywhere it's around personality. It. This place has a lot of personality. I was there. I mean, I was there a few months ago. Yeah, a month ago. Like so the ago. just the really cool pictures of like uh, Tyler Johnson like standing there, and you see like lightning in the background or something. Just art on the wall. Why not? But every all four corners of the arena has like a place where you can stand and gather and and sit down at like bar height tables and watch the actual game and not have to depend on a screen. Uh, the food was okay. I mean, they have a Tim Hortons. Um, yeah, we get it together, Raleigh. Jeez, where's National Tim Hortons? I don't. Yeah. Uh, it, it should be coming. We also there was also uh, actually had a post game on the uh, Bud Light party deck, which is like the the fourth floor of the building. What you sent me pictures of that, I I was like, I I need I need this. Yeah, like just carve out a wall at Bridgestone Arena, or take the smoking downtown. section and turn it into uh, make it not a smoking section, Thank make you. it into something people actually use. Thank you. Yes. So, all in all, uh, you got to go to Tampa for a game at some point. They have a serious crush on their fans. They do a great job taking care their of them. Their organ setup is really super cool. It's, the pipes aren't real, but, but it the, looks so The visualization cool. is cool, and the, the organist does a fantastic job. Kristoff is amazing, yeah. You know, one thing I forgot to mention, um, so I didn't, not to say that uh, uh, Carolina's uh, game ops were like bad or anything like that, but I, I don't didn't get that sense that they were like as in love with the fans like you say that Tampa was. But one of the coolest things that I saw was during the intermission they would have uh, like advanced stats, like charts and numbers and everything like that on the jumbotron to go through. So you'd see like shot locations for each team. You'd see pie graphs of shot attempts. You would see um, time on ice uh, statistics and things like that. Just like really intuitive stuff that I've never seen an arena before. Uh, I bet the Carolina, the uh, Carolina's doing that on purpose because they have something. To, they need something to sell to their fans at this point. Well, they're also, one of the better analytic teams in the in the league right now, even though they don't have the results to show for it. So they need to at least show that hey, what we're doing is is working. Don't quite have the personnel to be able to do it yet. Just hang with us. Well, thing I, that makes me nervous though is that maybe they they pull those stats from the SAP folks. That I, is I, I don't think so because if I remember correctly and I had to go back and fact check this, I think Carolina was one of the first people to um, hire um, like Eric uh, Tolsky or, uh, you know, one of those guys. Um, I know that they snatched one of those people who started the advanced stat revolution in there. Um, I'm pretty sure that's one of the reasons why they have those stats there. But... Is it Eric Tlusky? That's it. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty Broad sure, Street Hockey. Yeah, I'm pretty sure down. he's working for the Canes. I'm not entirely 100 percent on that. I don't I'm pretty remember. Pretty sure that's him. I'm pretty sure that's him. Um, one last thing about game operations. Uh, this is a question for both of you. Uh, from what you saw, just from what your game operations, comparing it to Nashville's game operations, what I saw in Tampa is that they had they treated a lot more like a actual hockey game they treated it much more less like a night out which i get it i mean the tampa of course are gonna have more of an older fan base not just because everyone there is old but because they've had hockey for 20 years tampa's had pro sports since the 70s I and mean, it's a more of a refined sports market especially in florida where they have pro sports of all different types there and you have to win to be successful um, from what you saw in dc compared to raleigh and what you've seen in philadelphia say, uh, everywhere else you've traveled as well um 
is that a legitimate gripe that I have with Nashville? Like I'm just some bitter old curmudgeon or is it something that you would like to see the predators do it, do a bit different at some point? Nashville and the predators are in love with their theme. And that is as much like goofy family, nostalgic country fried crap as they can throw into a sink, into a, you know, three hour period of time. They love that. And they've always loved it. It has not changed. Uh, I, mean, I think they've added some nice dramatic elements that I think fans and, and I know we, we've appreciated. But I just feel like, you know, you see it in Tampa, you see it in, in you know, at Flyers games where there's a degree of, of um, like, dynamism and excitement and intensity that's really dialed in on the game and the beauty of the game and the passion of the players and, th- and things along those lines that, you know, bring them up to a different level. And, and I just don't really see that when we get, you know, another video of a Predators player pasted onto a dancing elf, um, we get it. Um, but that's what we tend to end up with. Yeah, and I can kind of agree with that. I felt that the game ops in Carolina was very similar, although it's kind of hard to judge when you only have like a half-full arena. Um, and I'm not going to fault that on like Carolina fans or anything like that. I've got, you know... I got a ton of respect for them. Yeah. The, the, the Carolina Hurricanes fans, just to kind of even step in for you on mm-hmm. this, they single-handedly lifted that team over Edmonton. I thought the Edmonton, between that and the injury, but uh, Carolina fans, this is not a shot on them because they know a bad product when they see it, wait, and they don't, they don't have to pay wait, for it. Wait, 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 were you talking about 2006? Yeah. When, when a, during, during the chaos of the post-lockout where terrible teams failed their way to the Stanley Cup Finals and managed to win, yeah, they needed all the help they could get from their fans because that was not a good team. Yeah, they won the cup, though. The, I mean, the Oilers were not a good team either. That was a weird season. You can't fault them. They won the cup. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, I was, I was going to say pretty much the exact same thing. Like, I, they haven't been in the playoffs since 2009. I don't, do not fault them for not having great attendance numbers. Um, and I've got nothing against them for that. Um, but, yeah, so it, it was kind of hard to see that. I felt like there was a lot of talking. Like, everyone, was, like the announcer, the PA people, the people on the Jumbotron were, like, trying to talk to you all the time. Just like, let me enjoy the game. Let me watch that. Um, whereas like with, with DC, I almost like other than like the music that they have, it's not like I'm looking at the jumbotron and thinking like, why are they doing this? Or what, what is this contest for? What are they doing that? It's very much. Um, and I think that that has to do with something that I just, I've been to a lot of capitals games before. I don't notice the game ops that much anymore just because I, I mean, I was with my family. I was drinking, I was having a good time. So the stu- yeah, too. there's stuff in between the whistles. I do not care about it. It's on the ice is what I'm looking at. Cool. Any last thing before we close up and actually start talking about the Nashville Predators hockey team over the last nine games? Cause that was a fun, that was fun. I, I had fun talking about travel. The final comment is if I have to watch one more arbitrary, fill the meter with excitement, graphic that doesn't mean anything that has no nothing tied to the actual noise the crowd is making it just makes me want to throw things i hate it nashville i think does it more than any other arena i've ever been to in my life probably three or four times a period it is yeah i just i mean it's harmless but it just infuriates me in the most arbitrary way possible yeah i get it like once a game maybe like something like that louis they're the only place i've ever seen do it properly because it was in the third period tie game and the place was organically loud. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to. They didn't have to do it, but they deployed it at the right time. And it was Louis the Bear. So that's it was also they. They also are constantly suffering from stomach aches and heartburn from eating their pizza. So they're just all groaning all the time. Probably and so. and their Budweiser. Yeah, because they invented beer, like they invented everything else in the culinary world. 
Since we last spoke, the Nashville Predators have claimed 10 points out of the possible 18. I'll just run these down real quick. Uh, first game with the Weber route, they lost 2-1 to one at home against Calgary in overtime. Uh, absolute dog baby of a game where the Predators completely out-chance, out-hit, out-shot attempt Calgary, and still only get one point. Lovely. Dog baby? Yeah. Never heard that phrase before? Probably not. It just, I just, if it has, it's just like yeah. my mind blacked it out. Then they followed up with a 2-1 <laughs> loss at St. Louis. Uh, nothing terribly spectacular there. It's just another Preds-Blues game. Blues looking pretty good. So slowly starting to turn it on, getting some players back healthy. Uh, Predators follow up with a 3-2 win at home against Minnesota. Uh, everyone feels good about that one. Because yeah, they won in the gold helmets for once. It's, they won. They didn't look good doing it. Uh, they win 5-1 to one at home against Montreal. And we figured this is the game that they slowly start creeping out of this, creeping out of their funk. And to some point it was. They followed up um, a 3-2 loss at home against Detroit right after the Christmas break. Uh, Detroit looked like uh, both teams, I think, deserved a point out of this. Uh, Detroit kind of have stood like a little bit of a late pressure there. As a whole, though, um, Predators didn't deserve to get all, deserve to win that in regulation. They win 5-3 to three against the Rangers in kind of a weird game. Um should have been 5-1. Rangers get a couple of garbage time goals from a bizarre play by Pecorine and Rick Nash getting his customary garbage time goal against the Nashville Predators because he's Rick Nash. Um, that one was probably the, I mean, aside from the Montreal game, that was easily the best time they played in the last 10 day, last uh, 10 games. No? Well, it was, it was, and this is almost unfortunate to say against a not great Rangers team, but it was a pretty even back and forth game and the Predators were actually bearing their chances for once and taking advantage of, of opportunities that came their way, which was nice to see. Yeah, they got Lundqvist moving side to side more, and they don't. Tip, that's the problem that they've had in the past few months is that they're not getting the goaltender moving back and forth. Um, Carter Hutton plays the next night. They lose 4-3 to three in overtime against St. Louis. Uh, you get time you get a point out of a Carter Hutton start, it's fine by me. Especially with the barrage that he faced in overtime and towards the end of the game. Yeah. I mean... Not not terribly upset no. about that. And it's, it's one of those things where, like, I thought going into it, you they get a point against a Central Division team after playing on the second night of a back-to-back, fine. You know, take take the points and go. You would have preferred it that they had the Central Division team first rather than playing them in the second game, but, you know, whatever. Now, uh, follow it up with a loss 5-1 to one against the Dallas Stars and probably the worst game, one of the worst games of the season. Yeah. And... They get out to a one-goal lead, you know, kind of fluky. They start their trading chances back and forth the first period. Dallas just finds another gear and just leaves them in the dust. Dallas is built like like a cannon. I mean, they're just they can you know blow out anybody. It doesn't matter how many goals your team may score. Dallas can always score one more goal, and that's how they're built, and that's what they do. Their their forwards are just so much better than everyone else's. That doesn't matter who else is on the ice, and they can do it immediately i mean you saw like so predators got ahead to that that one lead and then whoops they score a goal and then all of a sudden it's two to one here's my one of my gripes i have with the predators defensive core versus the dallas defensive core dallas doesn't have a shea weber dallas doesn't even have a barrett jackman really they have a they have a couple they have a jordy ben it's the closest thing they have to an old school defenseman uh alex hmm. goligoski uh johnny, johnny do you he's not quite an old school defenseman is he oh he, he's he grew up in the swedish school which makes him a little bit 
different. I mean, he's adapted yeah, to the American true. style a bit more over the years, so he's gotten a little bit more physical, so but you're he's talk- still a puck-moving Swedish defenseman. Yeah, you're just talking about that big old guy that does nothing but get in the way of yeah. people's things. Like like Willie Mitchell. Gotcha. So, the gripe <laughs> that I have... elite defenseman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which, Willie Mitchell's having a pretty good year for Florida. We, we'll talk, touch on that a little bit later on. He is... Don't sound. I didn't mean he to hurt is. you. I didn't mean to hurt. No, Dan. I, I saw Sorry. the roll. I saw the. There was an almost an audible eye rolling. I, I, I rolled my whole the skull. I hope you heard that. <laughs> my neck cracked a little bit when I rolled my eyes. By Willie Mitchell standards, he's having a good year. Great. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> By he's John still, Scott standards, he's, he's having still a Willie Mitchell career year. He's still John Scott. Yes. <laughs> All star captain John Scott. What's Dallas doing differently? The Nashville is on defense because Nashville can move the puck better than the Stars' defense, but the Stars are are doing a better job of it this year. They've got John Klingberg for one. So Nashville has a Roman Yossi. Nashville has a Seth Jones. Nashville has a well, Ryan Ellis, Matias Ekholm, Shea Weber. I, I I well, I would I would argue that they don't have any kind of handcuffs. So they don't have any slow players who are just anchoring and not moving. Granted, I mean I do use not exactly sprinting up and down the ice, but he think he's more mobile than Barrett Jackman. Uh. But, I mean, ultimately, there's one thing about the distribution of the puck coming from the defensive core. It's another thing about the forwards getting the puck, doing something with the puck, and doing it cleanly. And Dallas has all the tools in their kind of top six, especially that first line, of course, to handle any passes cleanly, do some amazing things. Even if it's not a very clean pass, they can still get the puck settled and make a move and and, and do things, and they can challenge the goaltenders. And, um, you know, I, I think I might touch on this later as we kind of delve into what's going on with the Predators. But I think that's the biggest difference is the distribution. Let's just say the distribution for the defensive core is equal between the two teams. May not be, doesn't matter for this. But when it comes to what the forwards do with the puck once they've received it, I think that... They, the Dallas guys can settle the puck more quickly. They can get into the zone, and they have a degree of of uh, you know ferocity. Call it ferocity. Call it creativity. Uh, they may, they really come up with some interesting plays. They come in very very quick, and they make things happen. They know exactly where they want to shoot the puck from, and they get there as quickly as possible. and And they have the skill to do it. I don't see that same uh, thing coming from the Nashville forwards. I think that's that's ultimately the big difference. Is it still comes down to the forward cores. And I wonder, uh, this kind of ties along with what you're saying, is, and I wonder if that's because the Dallas core knows that they're not going to be as good. They're going to give up chances. They they just are because they're they're not a very good defensive team. Whereas with Nashville, I mean, you see all the time where the forwards are deferring to the defensemen. That's something that we've talked about here. It's something that we've seen before where they're always looking for that low to high pass for the defensemen to get the puck down. And so when when that low to high pass doesn't work and it results in a turnover against that's, you know, how many how many on man rushes have we seen with this team? that end up in the back yeah, of the it's, net. It's the, the Predator system is very predictable, and that's the thing that's hurting them offensively. You look at a Hextelli chart, and you see where the shots come from, where they don't come from, and you, then you compare it to where the Predators score goals from, or where they are highly, highly successful. Where, where goals the from. league scores goals from. Yeah, so, and, and that's not where the Predators are shooting from. They shoot, I think, 20% above league average from the blue line. And and I'll go ahead and, and lay out the big thing I wrote down, and even I made a mark and everything on my paper. 
it is not a good thing that the Predators' defensive core leads the team in points and in goal scoring. No, it's people never, people like to like talk about how exciting it is and what it says about the national defensive core. It's a really bad thing that that's happening. Yeah, because the forwards can't score. They shouldn't have the opportunity to lead the team in scoring like that. I mean, the teams who have defensive defensemen who are lead, leaders like that tend to be really bad teams. Look at Eric Carlson. Uh, Senators are not a good team, and he's just absolutely dominant. Justin We're, Falk from Carolina. Yeah, I was going to say. Uh, uh, Kind of counterintuitive to that, but like you look at someone like John Carlson um, in Washington. I mean, that's a really good team. He gets a lot of points on the power play. He gets a lot of points because they activate too. But I mean, he's also playing with Nicholas Backstrom and Alexander Ovechkin. Exactly. And I was going to say, it's not like you know uh, Matt Niskanen and Carl Alsner and Nate Schmidt and Dmitry Orlov. I mean, they're not scoring nearly as high as he is. I mean, he's you know he's a guy that stirs the drink for them on the back end. Yeah, I mean, everything's but, running through one guy rather yeah. than being spread across. But again, that, I just wanted to put that out there so mm-hmm. no one can yell at us a little bit later. Thank you, that, that I, hate, is I hate the, getting yelled at. Yeah. I think the Stars, when you roll out, you look at their lines. They can roll out a line centered one line by Sagan, one line by Spezza, one line by Cody Eakin. And Cody Eakin's a pretty good player. He's, mm-hmm. not, he's not a normal third-line player. Those are your top three lines in for Dallas. You're not counting on John Klingberg to score all your goals. You're not counting mm-hmm. on Alex Goligoski to score all your goals. This team in Nashville is counting on Roman Yossi to score goals, counting on Shea Weber to score goals because their forwards aren't active enough. They're not. Well, they you, don't have someone camped down in front of the net like a Sagan or like a uh, Jason Spezza can do. I think, and, and this is maybe a bad example, but it's, it's I think it's such a funny thing, is that the one-handed pass from Ribeiro, was I, was that setting up Forsberg for a goal? But do you remember the, it, it was there was a Ribeiro. I can't remember which game it was. It was one of the more recent ones, or Ribeiro has a this, just this lazy one hand. He basically just takes the one hand stick and stretch and just kind of like flips, just moves it gently. It is the most lazy thing I've ever seen in my life. He's not even skating. He just sort of bats the puck around, and that was his contribution. He got a primary assist for it, and that for me summarizes the Nashville Predators' offense. It's very it's it's. Get in the zone, and you have very static oppor- trying to create opportunities from very static positioning because your main playmaker is essentially just a turret who's going to fire passes off and hopes they get to someone who's open who are all skating around while three guys cover two players. Yeah, and I noticed that a lot of the Carolina game where I mean they were playing against Eddie Lack and had one goal in regulation off of it was and it was shorthanded, and you're like, there is no way that a team that shoots this much should be getting stonewalled by Eddie Lack. Because you're watching the game, and they weren't making people move. They weren't getting... uh, You mentioned how uh, Lundqvist was moving out out of his crease and side to side side and everything Mm -hmm. like that. None of that was happening, and it just looked like they... Okay, well, we're going to get the puck in the zone. We're going to do this. We're going to maybe skate around for a little bit. Maybe we'll take a shot, and then puck's going the other way. Yeah, it's... it's, The offensive woes are much for the Predators, and they're not... Obvious things. This I don't team think obvious things. knows that James Neal can shoot the puck very well. They know Philip Forsberg's got a shot. Mike Fisher's actually got a really good shot. I mean, he's not a, a great hockey player anymore, given that he's you know getting to be thirty six years old. But he's Smith, got a really good Smith shot. Smith has a shot. Wilson, Wilson actually has a shot when he bothers team, to take it. This team is in love with their own shots, so their offense just becomes all right. Someone make a shot. That's it. Well, it and yeah. this is where things like um, Corsi are good. Not good for telling a story. They're good for analysis right. because. Yeah. The Predators have, you know, fifty-two percent Corsi for the last ten games. That's that's pretty good. It's a respectable amount. Given who they've played, though, but St. you Cal- St. Louis, uh, Dallas, Detroit, Montreal, Carolina, 
That's I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, 52 is a good number. It puts them in the top. It puts them like Minnesota in the top 10 for the NHL in the 10-game the ten period. Yeah. The issue is is that if you look at the actual shot charts and you look at things like Fenwick, which doesn't count the block shots, it tells a very different story. It says they're they're when they're getting shots, they're getting blocked, and and you know the thing comes from that. Well, block shots aren't hugely important, and people are trying to de-emphasize block shots a lot of times and the injuries that can cause. But if you think about how the predator is set up in the zone, is it's very it tends to be a little bit slow. It tends to be very pass oriented, but but the passes are very static. Um, like I was talking about as far as positioning, and so by the time they get into a very dangerous area to score, the other team has already adapted. They're already in position, and they formed a wall to prevent that from happening, and they prevent the shot. So you see in those high-danger areas, a whole you go to the Hextally charts and like War and Ice, and you see lots of little bees everywhere, all in the danger area. So when they are getting down there, they're getting blocked because they're so slow and so predictable getting into the high-danger area that the other teams can adapt and, and block that off. And that's a huge, huge, huge issue. When you saw when you saw him play against Dallas, Dallas uh, did a really good job of whenever you saw the camera frame pan around, which you'd see like these three or four bright green jerseys around the puck at all times. If you guard home plate around against the Nashville Predators, you're going to stand a very good chance to win because they don't have anybody big to really push anybody around to get positioning there, and that opens up your cycle game. James Neal has a much better shooting percentage and has a much better goal percentage with of all people Mike Fisher on the ice. Because Mike Fisher clears out enough space for him to be able to get off that awesome shot. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm always a huge proponent for centers with with big bodies, like power forward type centers, because compared to a center like Ribeiro, who's static, who's small, who's not going to move anybody off the puck, who's not going to push anyone around, who's not who, who's not going to dive through a pack of players and be able to maintain possession. He's no. going to he's a center who plays his entire offensive game on the wing. If you let him in front of the net, he'll stay there, but he's easily moved out there. The Rangers let him set up shop there. There are a couple of the other teams they've played, too. I think Montreal just let him set up shop there and didn't move him out of the way. Yeah, and these are teams who are depending on high, who are very dependent on high-end goaltending yes. and lack a lot and lack really essential pieces throughout. And also teams that haven't been doing very well as of late, or especially when the Predators were playing them a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. both of them allowed five goals. Um, we've touched on this, the 2-1 win against Carolina. First win, a 3-on-3 the entire year for the Predators. Ekholm had himself a great night in Raleigh. Yes, he did. Maybe, um, maybe Lavi will actually practice three on three overtime now. Maybe, maybe Ekholm gets some shot at the power play finally. <laughs> I mean, I've been asking for that for a while. Yeah. So let me ask. Theoretically, I, I I agree with you, but who would you replace him with? Because you have the defensive core or the two units. Uh, uh, roll off Jones. Yeah. What you take Jones off the power play? Yeah. Ellis Ekholm, Weber, Yossi, and mix and match however you feel you need to. Yeah. I mean, if you need to cycle somebody off, you can cycle Jones off for Weber, cycle Jones off for somebody or, or for Ellis. But uh, I love Ryan Ellis in the power play. Oh, I do too. Hell, run out, run out three defensemen on the power play. What's the worst that can happen? My, well, my, the forwards aren't going to be doing much of anything. <laughs> my ultimate goal for the power play is to have Austin Watson in front of the net because Austin Watson, Craig Smith, and then three defensemen. Just <laughs> chaos. That's Just your second, shooting second power play unit right there. Get to work, Housley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one, Housley. Uh, a couple bits of team news before we hit the break. Mike Fisher returns to the ice. Uh, Glad to see him back, but it comes at a cost. Colton Sissons is sent back to Milwaukee. Yeah, I know. We're all the Colton Sissons fan club here. It was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, there's no way the team couldn't get worse when Mike Fisher got back, and not because Mike Fisher makes the team worse, but because you have to roll off a good player for a bad fourth-line player. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but... You're saying Mike Fisher's a bad fourth-line player? No, no, I'm saying that 
that because you have to keep the Nystrom and Gostad guys oh, going. Yeah, okay. okay. Gotcha. You have so you you ditch Sissons because you can't ditch Gostad and Nystrom. Gostad, right. I mean, he's back to his old ways again. He actually has the second worst uh, relative shot attempts or Corsi, however you want to put it, in the entire league among forwards. But he scored a goal at some point, so he must be good because he scored. scored yeah, a hey, point Dan, he scores goal. a lot of faceoffs. Yeah. He does score a lot of faceoffs, John. That's a good observation. That's, that's, I that's, know. Very, that's very astute there. Uh, Cody Hodgson's been back and forth. Uh, you know, he got shuffled back into the lineup on this since Fisher's return. Um, we'll dive in a little bit more about Hodgson, but that's kind of making a little bit of headway as well. Uh, let's see. You know what? Let's go and get our break. When we come back, we'll get their questions from the people we put out earlier today. Uh, also, just kind of a quick reset. We know we probably got some new listeners out there. We're finally back on TuneIn. New Year's rolled around. Football season is finally over with. So kind of a bit, a bit of a uh, quick reset when it comes to our team philosophy for this upcoming part of the year. This is the Predcast, brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need Lion's Own. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. back in we're gonna spend some moments uh, answering some of your questions that you guys have fed through us through uh twitter and also through the comments section comment section decided to go back to the well john asked first question when can i have my musical segment what are you referring to in your musical segment i don't know i figured i'd take the ball and run with it can i have a musical segment uh i didn't dignify that with a response in the comment right. section are, are you going to be like singing here. for it? like are you going to be like doing a musical rendition of a predators game breakdown or are you going to be just i do love musicals man. i feel like it should be like a saturday night live thing where we just have like and now ladies and gentlemen boys to men that's perfect i don't know if i can harmonize yeah. with you guys well, oh wait, we're not we're not. Can singing we at least get songs? like matching outfits or something? I don't know. We can't. Do you want to be like Elvis outfits or like old Johnny Cash outfits? Elvis outfits. You like that one? I, I'm going to favor Johnny Cash. I'm going to go Johnny Cash because it was Johnny Cash in the Tennessee two. So yeah, that could be pretty cool. That'll work. Okay, we'll, we'll storyboard and come back next week. Uh, Sean, long time, uh, long time uh, commenter and on the four check, friend of ours on Twitter as well. Writes in, where does Poyle stand if he gets Ryan Johansson via trade with Ryan Ellis plus, yet still manages to fizzle out in the first round? As in the team still goes out in the first round. Won't he have accomplished practically everything we wanted uh, wanted from him in the past couple of years? Essentially, how would we take it if, uh, if Poyle does do what we've been begging him to do for the last, what, two years? Goes out and gets a bona fide number one center that's young, got his prime ahead of him for Ryan Ellis and, and, and pieces instead of trading off Jones or Weber, how would we, uh, did Poyle, quote, do his job, or how would he stand with you guys? Well, 
Yeah, the GM's job, in my eyes, is to provide the team as best as he can with the assets they need to be successful. Uh, and the piece we're always talking about, and we've talked to death about this, is that it's the hardest piece in the entire league to get. So if Boyle can go out and make a smart trade and bring that asset in and the Predators are not successful, then Boyle has done his job to the best of his ability and... and uh, it doesn't really bother me. Uh, my revised expectations—I mean, my expectations for the Predators—I don't think. I think they were a bit more tempered than mm-hmm. you get than you than like the general consensus. Uh, well, are we I don't talk, mean are like, we're talking like now I mean, or just like at the beginning of the season. I think the, I might have yeah, been a bit more you, tempered. Yeah, you were a little bit more tempered um, than either of us were. I think I had the highest expectations. Yeah, of the team. And, and so I wouldn't be like, but I agree with you guys that second rounder bust was sort of uh, where they need to be. But with my revised view, I mean, if they didn't make it out of the first round, I really wouldn't be upset at this point i would look at it as they now have the asset they need and they've got another year of experience under their belts you go into the 2016 2017 season uh strong and you have a lot of your mistakes fixed you've got at least a year or two left in pecorini being being you know high in quality um but now you've got that piece from day one that you really need to and you can build an offense around that so yeah. it wouldn't bother me much. Exactly. And if we're talking about a center like Ryan Johansson, like Nugent Hopkins, someone like that, it's not the end of the world if they fizzle out in the first round. Obviously, you know, there are going to be emotions there. People are going to be upset, yada, yada, yada. But then, like Link said, you've got a couple years to basically build on that. It would be, and then again, Poyle brought in that 1C conversation over we should be happy the fact that he actually did it because i think that the where it stands right now a lot of people aren't even thinking that that's something that's even going to happen we don't even trust him to do it right now if it was someone like an eric stall or another rental and then they fizzle out in the first round that's where the distinction is drawn where not only did he yeah. probably make the team worse by selling up future assets um they did the, the experiment did not pan out and then he's either got to pay this new guy a bunch of money or let him walk away. So if it's a Ryan Johansson type player, fine. If it's someone that's going to be in just till the end of the season, end of the playoffs, then no. Yeah, I, I think if I think the real thing is is that if the uh, they're in a position where Poyle starts making his what have become traditional first round or high end you know packages for rental players that aren't very good or aren't going to be who don't fit in the team then we're going to be really unhappy uh, across the board. A lot of good questions on Twitter, so I'll start with that one next. Uh, Michael Humphrey writes in, anything out of the trade rumors coming out of Columbus? Uh, Looking at Scott Hartnell and Ryan Johansson, how much stock do you put into that? I mean, sure. I mean, Ryan Johansson is the the all impressions that he's going to land somewhere that's not Columbus. He doesn't even seem welcome there. He's being played in the fourth line. That makes sense. Yeah, are we talking about the rumors that were circulating today, like specifically? Uh, because I I heard whispers and like people in the comment section saying that there's smoke somewhere, and then all the people that I trust to look at anything, I saw nothing regarding anything uh, imminently happening. So overall, I I would say yes it's possible just like a lot of things are possible yeah. but Boyle is it probably made a call yeah is it something that's gonna is it imminent or something that's gonna happen to or do i buy it no i yeah, don't I mean, the, the only reason and and what's interesting about the hartnell element of that is He's that strikes lot. me as being hmm? that's a lot of salary for Columbus. well that's the thing it's it's a it's a salary thing 
for them. So the pr- pr- part of the it would almost be a make weight. So Hartnell's not producing a ton, but he's producing some, and he's very expensive. So you get Johansson, the fancy young center you want, but you also have to take Hartnell and his contract and his money. And so that's sort of like you're getting a player, but you're also getting a bit of a curse. And so you know the, the Predators have done that in the pa- in years past. You know, with like Lombardi, and they they included friends as, as kind of a make weight thing, and uh, you know that happens. So it doesn't seem outlandish to me, but I'd be interested to see what the this is kind of a, a bat country type type deal, and and what people would think the Predators would be sending to Columbus that would bring back uh, bat Johan- Johansson and. Hartnell. Hartnell. Columbus right now is paying it's Scott Hartnell a cap hit of around 4.75 a year, which isn't terrible, but it's still a good chunk of money. If Columbus was to retain a million dollars, so 3.75 would be the Nashville cap hit, he signed until 2019. <laughs> Classic Philadelphia contract. Yeah, well, uh, Columbus has no room to talk. They've got Cam Atkinson on a $3.5 million cap hit. Who? Cam Atkinson. Mm, forgot about him. Yeah, Cam yeah. Atkinson's about as big as like a mini fridge, right? <laughs> Like uh, that's I don't quite get that salary, and he's he's 26. That was one of those. All right, you find this is like this is their Colin Wilson contract. Uh, they got Jack Johnson on a about a 4.3 million dollar deal. Uh, deal uh, Fedor Tutin for four and a half. David Savard they just signed to a good old extension as well, and they've still got to extend Dalton Prout, Ryan Murray, and Kevin Connaughton. I'm not even going to try that last name. Ooh, my favorite thing too. They're paying David Clarkson. They are paying David Clark. Is what is Horton still on there? They'd get rid of No, they, they traded uh they traded Nathan Horton and his contract to Toronto for David Clark's and his contract. Oh right, I forgot because about that. Because Toronto That's could just yeah. like under their insurance beca- just write everything off. But because he got injured in Columbus uh, with a reoccurring injury, then they were stuck with, they couldn't uh, get full relief on the salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that contract wasn't insured on that. So. The Columbus Blue Jackets have, as of right now, uh, $875,000 in cap space. That's a little sad for them. Woof. Yeah. That's what happens when you're paying Brandon Dubinsky $5.8 million, Brandon Saad $6 million, Nick Foligno $5.5, David Clarkson $5.25, and Scott Hartnell $4.75 million. It's not that's good asset ha- management. Not good, Bob. No, that's not good. So, also, uh, to circle back around to Michael's question here. Kind of curious timing today that we get the rumors of Kirby Reichel asking for a trade out of Columbus as well. Reichel was a first-round pick of 2013 of Columbus. Uh, he's like a, a Don Cherry prototype player. He's a point of game at the AHL level, big guy, bruiser, goes to the front of the net, that kind of player. Almost like David Clark can accept with talent. So kind of curious that we're getting rumblings of him wanting a trade out of Columbus today too when you have other less reputable sources saying that where there's smoke, blah, blah, blah. Any, does that lend anything or making this any more? He feels like part of a package type player. That's really the extent of it. Yeah, because right now, uh, when I reverse wrote my little my little uh, opus about Jones uh, about Jones for Johansson, at the time, Seth at the time Seth Jones' uh, value was uh, was about on par with Johansson. Columbus has done nothing but kill the value of Ryan Johansson since then, and he's playing on the fourth line. Uh, the coach hates him. He's healthy, scratched a bunch. He's scratched. constantly being told he's out of shape and not playing fit. We're hearing all these stories about like his you know, his fatigue is actually a problem with him. And I know Ryan Nugent Hopkins is probably the better player on paper, but Johansson's more of what the Predators need because he's a bigger guy and he plays right in front of the net. Johansson's a couple inches taller. He weighs twenty pounds more. He's right, right around the same age. Johansson seems like a better fit than Nugent Hopkins. Isn't and he plus, making less money than Nugent Hopkins is, yes, too? Yes, he is. He's making $2 million less a year per cap hit. 
Um, now, the salary situation, Johansson's got an RFA at the end of two years, but mm-hmm. he's still restricted free agent. You're going to have to pay the guy probably around $7 million to retain him. That's the going rate for a top-line center. You, well, I mean, assuming he performs at the level you expect him to, you have to pay him $7 million. Yes, that's true. So, just a few other uh, orbiting parts about that. Uh, Maria, friend of ours, writes in, do you still expect the team to make the playoffs? And if so, what sort of deadline deals will Poyle make? This is kind of, let's let's take a look at this from a, what do we expect David Poyle to actually do? Not what he should do, but what he actually will Ooh, do. Oh boy. You see, you never know what David Poyle is going to do. He's the smoking man. Yeah. Um, I do expect them still to make the playoffs. Um, I thought I was going to follow that thought up with something else, but I guess not. Because, I mean, the Pacific Division is so bad that it doesn't look like more than three teams from there are going to get in. And then I, I just don't have, well, any confidence at all in Colorado. Um, and then Winnipeg, I'm on the fence about, but I really don't think that they can make that gap to get up there and... This might be something we get into a little bit later, but I still think the Preds are maybe a little bit better than they've played the past month and a half. With, with their 97.5 PDO over the past 10 games? Oh, yeah. Classic. I, the, the, the thing I love about the Pacific is that even the first, like, the team that wins the Pacific Division is still going to, in in the, if they were really smart, would still be sellers at the deadline. That's how bad the Pacific is. Mm, Kings aren't going to be sellers. Kings, the Kings know they have an easy route. They're going to get they're, to the conference finals. They're gonna, Dan is being an OTF commenter right now and yeah. taking me super, super seriously. Well, I was going to say the Kings are going to be the ones that trade for Johansson, and then they're going to win the cup again because yeah, that's, that's, what, that's they what they do. do. That's what they do. And have so we tragic. fleeced Columbus in a trade? Yes, we so have. tragic. You know, there's no bigger LA Kings sympathizer at this table than me. There really literally is not. No. And I know that the Pacific Division is not great, but you look at who, the LA Kings know this may be the this may be it. All right, Carter's getting up. Carter's not exactly young anymore. Kopitar, this is contract year, so you know who you're going to be able to afford after this year. Gabrick's not a spring chicken anymore either. He's not a spring chicken in years. (laughs) No, he had a good playoff series a couple years ago, but Mm -hmm. that's about it. Let's see here. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, did we get to answer the second part of the the question? Yeah, yeah, you're right. What kind of deals is Poyle going to make? Do they have any first-round draft picks left? The they, do, they do have their first-round draft pick for this season. Okay, well, that's going to be traded for some kind of third-line something or other. Uh, how about a first for a, a first and Ponis Oberg for Eric Stahl for the rest of the year? Oh, God. That's that's totally what's going to happen. Because I make jokes. It's actually... Uh, I make jokes about getting Eric Stahl, but it's like one of those things I joke about it because it, it's going to help me deal with the pain of it actually happening. The, the scary part is that he's probably not going to be bad if he does come here. And he'll actually fit the system okay. It's just only going to happen for a few months, and you're going to be kissing goodbye a first-round pick, which your team needs, and a prospect that your team needs. I just close my eyes, and all I can see is Eric Stahl's face on it with a gold helmet, and it's the most horrifying oh, thing I wow. can possibly see. Eric Stahl is a very German-looking Canadian, and yeah, bright yellow gold doesn't quite work. And even the even like the navy blue on the on the gold jersey doesn't work with his with his facial tone. It just doesn't. It may work with his brother, but I don't want his brother either. Yeah, it's, um, I don't want work. any. I don't really want any stalls. Not even Mark. No, not okay. really. Where do you fit in the lineup? He, we, we, the, the team would Cody friends and themselves all over again. That's perfect. Get, get a quality defensive player and then just misuse him. <laughs> We're gonna play him on the off wing in a holding role, and he'll be fine. So I'll rephrase, uh, kind of simplify the question a bit. So earlier today, I put out there, and I just 
had a glass of wine and had a bit of a rant uh, today about just what what camp do you fall into of the five camps that the Predators, uh, Predators fans, I believe, are divided into. And it's, it's more... It's kind of surprising. I, I expected more for a rental, uh, more for a rental option. The options were to do nothing this year, as in just let the uh, let the youth mature. Don't mess, touch the farm system. You know you're incomplete this year. Just let it ride. Camp number two, trade for a rental player. Camp number three, move the timetable up and trade Seth Jones. Number four, make a trade that changes everything and trade Weber. Probably have to do that in the summertime, so you're somewhat in camp number one. Or number five, you settle and you trade Ryan Ellis for whatever you can get him for. You, I mean, there there is probably no mystery that I'm I'm in the trade Weber. Right. That camp. was not the question. The question is, is that of these five uh, of these five options, which is David Poyle most likely to do? Uh, he's uh, probably either do nothing, rental, or settle. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna have to go with the rental. I th- I, I think that David Poyle at the trade deadline is going to be the dad that you know means well but gets you not quite the christmas present that you were really hoping for but the one the step below that so like the uh, you know the pink fluffy guy as opposed to the turbo man action figure booster yeah booster that's he gets you it. booster he's, instead of turbo he's, man. yeah he's gonna get you booster instead of turbo man so where he means well and you know that he needs to do something and he's trying he's trying to make it work but he's just not there he bought You're- you cds you're a little more optimistic than I am because I'm thinking it's like you ask for uh, a Super Nintendo and you get a Tiger Electronics handheld. Who wants a? <laughs> I'm just spit taped. <laughs> Who wants a booster though? Booster doesn't do anything. We don't like you, Booster. <laughs> Jingle All the Way is a classic. I know it's about 20 years old now, but that was one of my favorite favorite movies growing up. Yeah, I caught it on the TV just a couple of days ago, or a couple of weeks Good ago timing. now. Oh, in case you're wondering, the poll question that we put out, uh, 360 plus votes. Good job, everybody. At the Woo. time of recording. Uh, the most popular was uh, the Jones trade. Second most popular was Settle, for which is trading Ryan Ellis. Third was Weber. Fourth was Do Nothing. And with six votes, trade for rental player. You poor people. You Lowered also, everyone was wrong except for whoever chose Trade Weber. Yeah, we don't want to be that guy, but yeah, you're, you're kind of right. There. I have, I, I, I half believe that I have some kind of internet bot set up just to anytime there's a poll that says Trade Weber, doesn't matter what sport it is, it just clicks yes. <laughs> uh, Lincoln Vamos writes in, even with a first or a top line center, Predators will not outgun Dallas, Chicago, St. Louis, or Minnesota in the playoffs. Do you think it makes sense just to stick with the young defenseman and just try to roll with that? Um, rephrase the question or like repeat the question please he, he's saying that, that um, even if the Predators do get a top line center Nashville is not going to quote outgun Dallas, Chicago, St. Louis or Minnesota in the playoffs I, uh, I, I disagree you, I on would that. disagree on all but two one of mm-hmm. those teams I think the Predators with, with a center could easily outgun St. Louis or Minnesota and also no team has won the Stanley Cup since the lockout without some really good center depth no one Mm-mm. it's true Centers so, are kind of important, apparently. Mm-hmm. Kind of important. That's what I hear. More so than goaltending. So, still a good question, though. Uh, Brandon Valentine writes in: Is it common enough time? What's going on with Granberg? <laughs> and can, <laughs> this is oh, this it gets better. Uh, can General Manager David Poyle GM both the Predators and the Titans? I'll take care of the last part. At least, um, at least Poyle has a good history of drafting defensive players, which the Titans are in dear need of. And uh, but you know there's not a whole lot of trading that goes on in the NFL. David Poyle may have missed us calling in life. 
He could, he could be an excellent NFL general manager. Can we trade Weber for Mariota? Ooh. Ooh, maybe we could trade Weber. Have a Weber. distributor to, to the guys. Trade so Weber to the Eagles. For, he can coach the Eagles. And then, I don't know who... who, who there's no one you want back from the Eagles. Never mind. Yeah. I track that. Who would you mm-hmm. want? No one. Philadelphia, you finally got Weber. It just was not for the Flyers. Man, who would you so, let's Eagles? start with the top of this one now. He's asking about Vladislav Kamenev, which uh, it's a very popular topic. He had a very good World Juniors campaign. Yeah, he's it's still going. Too. Yeah. Still going on. We'll get him into Go- that a little bit Gold medal on. game tomorrow. Absolutely. Um, are you wanting to see him up already? Or no, do you, no, no. It's the June. It's the World Juniors. Let's. He's been playing well in Milwaukee calm. too. Yeah, but he should continue to play well in Milwaukee. Like I'm not. I'm he not opposed. To, yeah, he I'm doesn't not, get to jump Colton Sissons in line because Colton Sissons has been equally as impressive, has been more durable, and has been more but, consistent. Uh, he's been around for but, a lot but longer. Kamenev could top out as a second line center, a really good second line center, and. Colton Sissons doesn't strike me as the same type of player. So it depends on need at, at the club level. Colton Sissons' like, ceiling is like Cody Eakin. We talked about him being a, a, a really, really good third-line player. Yeah. Great third-line like, center. He's a 2-3. Yeah. Yeah. He, I think he's going to be a career 2-3, whereas I think Kamenev can be a career 2. Career 2, maybe a French one. And if you're talking about, if you're talking about having center depth in the Predators' future... And you get a Johansson or some a, a young top line center, and you have a guy like Kamenev who can who if he can make that jump to the second line, all of a sudden the Predators have, and you have Sissons, you have Austin Watts, you have a lot of really fun depth. Right, because it's not like the Predators are devoid of centers; they're just devoid of centers that can actually lead the team and do things. And especially with uh, like Kamenev, you said he uh, tops out at a two C. You know that's what two, three years from now, maybe, possibly. Yeah. I mean, it's not anything yeah. that's going to be happening anytime soon. Yeah, it's going to take a long time to develop that. Thomas Novak out of Minnesota looked really good over the weekend, too. Mm-hmm. Um, also, his name for him, Yakov. Yakov Trenin. Trenin, yeah. He, he, oh, and he's, a, he's even younger, because I believe he got cut from the uh, from the team. He did. Yeah, he's but, not having a great start to the year, but he's... It happens. I, I really, really enjoyed him watching him during training camp. Oh, so he was a monster. It's something to look forward to. He yeah. was an absolute... Yeah. I mean, he had just had so much confidence and was such a big-bodied player. I uh, Yeah, he was hard to miss out there. The, the, I think the question ultimately is, who do you see first? Do you see like a Trenton or a Kamenev, or do you see Soros come up and actually... That's the next wave. ...take things over? Because Soros think- is, you know, with his dominant... I mean, it, the nice thing about goaltenders is that if they're dominant at the AHL level, they tend to be dominant at the NHL level. There are exceptions, right. of course, but that's kind of the way it works. And Saros is looking pretty good. Trenton's actually been pretty turning good. on. So far, he's got 23 points in 29 games, which at the junior level, that's not out, that's not outstanding. Last year, he had 67 and 58 games. Uh, he's been turning it on. He had a really rough start to the year, so he's turning on the heat a little bit there. Uh, to finish up with uh, Valentine's question, What's going on with Granberg? Well, right now he just got off IR. Right now he's skating with the main team. Mm-hmm. If there is, uh, he was the guy that Petter Granberg. Whenever they claimed him, that's what really started the wheels turning in my mind. That the Predators are going to be making a trade at some point. Uh, that hasn't changed. That there's no reason else why they would have claimed this guy. Anthony Potato for a dozen cannolis. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a fair trade as far as I'm concerned. I love a good cannoli. Mm. Let's see here. Peyton Turnage writes in, would it make the most sense for Colorado to go after Druan? Which makes sense. Patrick Waugh, junior coach, Nathan McKinnon, junior teammate. French-Canadian last names. Yeah. I mean, French-Canadian, Colorado. I mean, what's not to like there? Problem is, is that what's Colorado going to trade Tampa? Tampa? Uh, yeah, and I had no idea that Druan was a defenseman. It's crazy. 
<laughs> Tampa has almost no cap room whatsoever. And they were I wrote earlier today that Tampa depends on young players like this to be successful in order for them to be able to afford no, their I mean, top-end players. And, and there's People seem to be working with the assumption that Tampa actually wants to trade Druin. I mean, it, obviously it's very public. It's made public that Druin requested a trade and that he was basically shut down, and they send him, like, oh, you want playing time? We'll give you playing time to send him to the minors, almost as a response. Right. So they're they're doing a, a, a heavy-handed, tough love route with him. Uh, they clearly don't want to give up on him. They know he has talent. They don't... I mean, it hasn't come out maybe because of, of depth. They're not getting playing there, or whatever reason, but everyone's taking this as a sign that Drew's going to get shipped out any day. I don't think Iserman has any inclination to send him out no, anywhere. And, it, and that's kind of what drove me nuts because, one, I mean, it's one thing for a player to ask to be traded. Uh, it's a different thing entirely for the player's agent to come out and say this player is going to get traded or this player wants to trade. You know, I mean, Alan Walsh has been a player agent for how long now? Like years and years and years. He knows what he's going to try and do. Uh, he's, he knows what he's going to try and, uh, you know, maximize either um, his uh, talents, price, and everything like that. And again, this is a dude that was picked third overall, what, two years ago, two ahead and a half of, years ago? Ahead of Seth Jones, ahead of... Uh, Barkov, right? No, 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 no Barkov sorry, was Barkov number was second. Yeah. Florida had the foresight to pick Barkov over Druan. Smart Which move. Which is very smart. Um but yeah, so I mean, just because that he comes out and say we requested a trade and now this is public, which is something that kind of irks me because I don't think that information should really be public, um, doesn't mean that that's okay, well, absolutely, we're going to do this. I mean, look at the Travis Hamannick situation. The Islanders like said, and that came out, that they are looking to trade him for personal reasons, and he hasn't even gone anywhere yet. It's not that easy to do. No. Especially if they don't want to. See here, uh, Ken Pred to the cap writes in. Should we have higher expectations the Predators spending to the cap, or are we just okay with the Predators not being a cap team? I don't know what I would do if we didn't go very long without the Predators saying we're going to be a cap team and then not doing it. That's just part of the team's appeal to me. We're talking about our cap. We're talking about our personal cap. That that's the excuse we usually get. Yeah, we oh, have an, we have yeah, an internal yeah, our, budget. Then yeah. we're meeting that. Yeah, because they say twelve million dollars. And below. whose fault is that? Because you're because you weren't proactive with Shea Weber. That's your that's your fault. Now, anything else we really need to add to that? No, I mean I don't know what they're gonna. I mean they're gonna be spending more money towards the cap next year with Forsberg and Jones. Yeah, I mean but, they've got. I mean Poyle is having to manage the the Weber and the Rene contracts, and that's just not gonna be a lot of fun as they try to start signing new players. But fortunately, guys like. Gostad and Nystrom will slowly start coming off the off the, the cap. Leads us right into our last question. Rachel Freeman, one of our favorite uh, interactors on Twitter. Why doesn't management sit, uh, sit Nystrom and let Watson play? We really don't have a great answer. No. I, if, <laughs> if you have an answer, please send it to literally anybody, anywhere. Someone has to know, and, and maybe they'll they'll get it out to the public. It's got to be just one of those old-timey veteran character things. Because, I mean, Eric Nystrom as a person is great. He really is. But he can't play hockey worth a damn. He's just a waste of space. I, I like Austin Watson, the person, just fine, too. I like his family background. And he's got higher upside, and he's much cheaper. Much cheaper, much bigger, much more durable. Because, I mean, Nystrom's missed significant time the last couple of years. So if you can unload Eric Nystrom or Paul Gossad before the trade deadline, do it. I, yeah, I mean, if you can, if you could flip Paul Gossad for something, that would be amazing because you're just, he's going to just drop off the books over this 
please, Poyle, please let him drop off the books over the summer. Do not keep paying him to your good guy contract. Anything. I want if you're gonna if you're gonna re-sign Paul Gostad, I want you to give a full public apology in the paper in Milwaukee to Colton Sissons. If he get, if, if dear Colton, I am sorry for dooming you for another life of bratwurst and cheese. If take, he take comes one. back, if he comes back and he makes more money than Carter Hutton, Preds fans just take to the streets. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Go ahead, John. I wasn't even... Uh, There's nothing else not, to Yeah, I, <laughs> I can't do that. Had. Nope, nope. All right. Well, that was a very... That actually went a bit long, but great work today, everybody in Twitter. Round of applause for all of you people. They get the trophy. Uh, they, get the, they get the gold star. They get the gold star. It's an actual gold star, not a yellow gold star. But I get to keep it. <laughs> we asked each other at the beginning of the year what were our expectations. Two of us said um, second round or bust. Uh, Link, you said... I think I said something similar. Okay. I think we all agreed. Most of us agree the second round is ideal. Now that we're seeing this team in action, things aren't going their way like they did last year. The goaltender isn't playing out of his mind every night. What are your expectations going forward? Are you still sticking with second round or bust for the season's a disappointment, or are you kind of adjusted? You know what? Maybe this team isn't all that great. Well, I mean, what are you looking at? If we're roughly, I mean, how close are we to the halfway point? We're we're almost there. We're just about at that about, point. Yeah, I think thirty-nine games yeah, played, thirty-eight so games there's, played. There's there's a long way to go. Uh, and, and the Predators, I, I feel like, have to trend upwards. So I, I do think we've seen kind of, I, I really feel optimistically you've seen the worst of them. And so that leaves me pretty pretty high in the second half of the season. At the same time, I also, you know, a lot of the players I was, I was hoping to see consistent efforts out of, or maybe even slightly improved efforts, have not achieved that. Uh, and that's kind of put them in a bit of a hole at this point in the season. So I, I think um, they're gonna ha- they're they're probably gonna end up with a fairly tough first round matchup, uh, and and that's not that key kind of keeps happening. And so they're gonna be uh, the stars of the Kings. Yeah, and and I think that's gonna really hurt them. Or if they pick up and they start accelerating, they're gonna end up playing the Blackhawks again. I'd rather I, play the stars of the Kings. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's not really a happy ending right now for the Predators the way I see things falling out. And so that tells me that if they do make it to the second round, that's a really big achievement for them this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, it doesn't matter because they're not a cup team this year. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd go along with that. I mean, they weren't a cup team to start the season. They're not a cup team now. I don't see a move that makes them a cup team by the time that the playoffs start. Um, as I see it right now, they're a first round exit team and I, I mostly agree with you with every link with what you said as far as you they're probably going to be a little bit better so I mean we've looked at a bunch of the numbers we see that they're not all clicking on all cylinders uh, so far at this halfway point um, and their numbers say that they're a better team that we're at what we're actually seeing but at what point do those do that all come together and say like, even though the numbers say that they're very good, maybe they just aren't a very good team. Well, yeah, I think that's what we're looking at. And I'm not ready to go there just yet. I'm not saying that the predators are a lousy team or they're a bad team. I still want to give it a little bit of time, but I mean, even though you said that there's a whole lot of season left, which I mean, there is on the flip side, there isn't a whole lot of season (laughs) left. Well, and they've got, they've got 40, they've got, well, there's 40 games in which they have to, figure out why their offensive system isn't working 
implement a new offensive system and get it clicking enough to get enough point to get points to to shoot up the standings a little bit. And that's a tall order because mm-hmm. everything I look at, especially over the last ten games, says that they're just their offensive system is not working. It, it, either they need to come, they need to come up with a new system for the personnel, or they need to admit that the system that Laviolette runs, they don't have the personnel for it, and need to figure out how to make that happen. Is there a a change in the front office? You said that there is not a change in the front office can make that would make this team a cup contender. I think we're all okay with that. I, I mean, or we all accept that. Um, so is the goal for this year more of a just make, use this year to get better? Not necessarily tank because ten because you know no no free agent's going to want to sign for a team that's, that's tanking. No team no player is going to okay a trade for a team that's tanking. I mean that's not you're, you're not going to make an offseason move to get Joe to get Joe Thornton if this team's tanking. That's just not going to happen. So my question is is that is there a move out there that um, that can at least make this team more competitive to where they are a threat to make the uh, a threat to make the second round if Rene picks up his game. I mean, I I think that if things if a few things swing the Predators' favor, even with their current personnel, they're a threat for the second round. I I at their best right now, I think that they are sort of, and I don't think I've ever said this phrase before, like a bubble second round playoff team. Interesting. Yeah, that's a weird sentence. Only uh, in the West. Only in the West. Yeah, it's uh. Because you know, I think most nights that they have a they have a shot against just about any team in the Western Conference, they have a shot. Uh, and so if they get the right matchup, they can make it the second round against a lot of the teams. And you know, especially if if you see something where you get into a defensive goal hitting battle up against St. Louis, where both teams are struggling to score goals, I think the Predators might be able to edge out St. Louis in that sort of sort of matchup. Uh, but then again, when you're edging someone out, then it can go the other way very quickly. Uh, so I, I think they're in a very strange place right now, just because there's so many pieces who who are either below or kind of failed to take a step forward, or below expectation or failed to take a step forward, and, and that makes it really hard to judge because they may suddenly click and be back to where they were the prior season, where you expect them to be, or they continue on where they are and they pull a full Colin Wilson. Anything to add to that? No, I don't think so. I mean, I was you mentioned Colin Wilson. I was, was going to say again, he can't he can't shoot 3% for the rest of the season. No. Remember when he but, called himself a Ferrari on one of the one of the mid, one of the Wednesday night Predators player shows? No. no. Yeah, he's yeah, he called him, he referred to himself joking as part of like he asked you he had tattoos and he said no, you don't put bumper stickers on a Ferrari. He called himself a Ferrari. Oh, well. That's funny. He is a funny guy. Uh-huh. Well, I, that quote always bugs me because it's like, you know, Little Messi, Ronaldo, Beckham, Colin Wilson. Like, it's always, he's like the number of elite athletes who have tattoos is much greater than Colin Wilson. Half the NBA. <laughs> exactly. Actually about two thirds the NBA. Yeah. So it just showed either a, a lack of a, a lack of Neal. wellness awareness. Well, I was going to say Tyler Sagan has sleeve tattoos all over the place. So that's actually what. Wilson needs to do just get sleeve tattoos and he'll start scoring like Tyler Sagan. Oh man, so Tom Wilson isn't enough of a bro to be an elite scorer in the NHL. That's the problem. <laughs> I think it was like a year and a half ago. You and I were talking about the uh, like the bros, like the bro level that the Predators have, and you said James Neal is one like one of the top bros in the league. Like Nashville could have some of the one of the their bro ratio is very low. 
Yeah, they need to. They need to. The, the elite I mean, the teams only, have a high bro ratio. The only bros yeah. that are really out there are the Swedes, and they're Swedish bros, which is a different classification of bros. That's like pandas versus red pandas. It's really very different. <laughs> yeah. With that said, yeah, I don't know. I, that, I'm so sorry for that. That was an awesome derailment there. And that said, let's uh, close it up. Five tough questions. Do what we do. Number one, in your opinion, this is a two-part question. Who is the best two-way forward in the NHL right now, and what measurement do you use to make your decision? I, I mean, John, can we just make? I can say it's Patrice, Patrice Bergeron, Bergeron, and say by every measurement, I think he's the best. I mean, he may not be the highest scoring one, but everyone around him scores a whole lot when he's playing, and he limits a he lot of give a lot of. He doesn't way. give up a lot of goals, and and he plays end to end, and never looks like he's having to work that hard to do amazing things. If you have a son or daughter and you're going to you're going to show what player that you want him or her to emulate, Patrice Bergeron's that player, correct? I was going to bring Holtby, but okay. <laughs> John's okay with that. John, I'm not trying to flirt with you, okay? That's but I am a little bit trying you're, to You're starting with you. off on the wrong foot if that's the case then. Well, no. Bergeron? That'd yes. be someone you can like, you know, that that guy. He's yeah, if if you want to be if your goal is to be an NHL hockey player and you want to do the right things to make the NHL, a guy like Bergeron's the way the person you want to mimic. You don't want to try to be the the Taze Canes Ovechkin because that I mean those guys have that what they have what Patrice Bergeron has and a level up. And it's one of those things I feel like nowadays we're just so used to saying Patrice Bergeron is so good that we kind of take yeah, it I mean, for it's, granted. It's either Ber- I mean because I think the argument only comes down to do you pick Taze or do you pick Bergeron? Yeah, well I was going to say we, you almost take it Joe for Thornton. granted so that when you watch him you're not you're not he's not two way. Focusing in on maybe something that you might have a couple years ago. You're just like, oh, mm-hmm. kind of like uh, Lidstrom at the end of his career. It's just like, oh, he's a future Hall of Famer. He's going to do crazy things. That's another one, yeah. Joe Thorne actually was leading the league in, uh, in relative course he four. Well, yeah, he generates a ton of offense, but that's not necessarily making no, him a he's two-way not the player. Most, he the most defensive player. No, but he, I mean, he just generates really, really good offense, whereas Bergeron is both a penalty killer and an offensive guy. Jamie Benn's up there for me. Jamie Benn does a lot of good defensive things. Uh, he's not as... He's not as uh, attentive as Bergeron is, and he doesn't drive play the way Bergeron does. Jamie Benn has an incredible well, yeah, shot, and, though. Yeah, and that's why I kind of I did draw a line between what's a two-way forward and what's just or what's a two-way center and what's just an offensive center. Because mm-hmm. a center obviously carries more defensive responsibility, which makes a guy like Ribeiro kind of a mystery. Um, they carry more respo- defensive responsibility, so they're all going to have defensive aspects to their game. Bergeron just plays so at such a high level in both zones. Where maybe he's not the best defensive center, maybe he's not the best offensive center, but he's the best of, when both, you, of worlds. both worlds. Definitely okay with that. Except for maybe Taves. There's an argument there. There's an argument There's there. I prefer argument. Bergeron, but I think Taves is definitely I, in the I argument. Agree. I agree. Uh, number two, Dale Talon was given an extension for his deeds in Florida, currently the first place Florida Panthers. In your opinion... Are the Panthers the best example of, of since 2010 of how to rebuild a franchise in the NHL? I, you say, say, say the end of that question again. Sure. In your opinion, are the Florida Panthers the best example of how to rebuild a franchise since 2010 in the NHL? I, it, so the reason I want to hear it again was because they're still rebuilding. They're going to be rebuilding next season too, probably. So they, it's hard to judge how good a building is going to be when it's half built and that's where they are right now i mean all the a lot of the veterans that are both bad contracts and care being involved in carrying the team are both are going to be gone by the time that the rebuild is done 
or they're going to have been replaced with a robot robo yager um something like that yeah, and I'm trying to think back to 2010 as far as the teams that were not any I'll, good then. I'll help you with that. Now, was St. Louis a bad one? No, uh, St. Louis was still pretty good right around then. Let's look at, look at the Avalanche, this is a little bit the before Oilers, that, yeah. the Flames. You can say the Hurricanes because they haven't made the playoffs since then. Um, the Lightning I'm going to disqualify because the Lightning were pretty good right around that time. They weren't great, but they were pretty good around they that were, time. I think the they were up were, and down. The Stars were rebuilding, weren't the they? The Stars were rebuilding, but they never drafted that low. No, and yeah, Well, they're also just this weird, like, not model for a rebuild franchise at all because they weren't very good, but they've also done most of their stuff through, like, trades Well, but I do think that's a re- they, they rebuilt in a very not unconventional way, and they've had a lot of success. They took advantage of some dumb other dumb GMs. Right, bad, but is though. is that a, is that a model way to rebuild your team? Is that something that you know you can put your blueprint in? Because I mean, they fleeced I, Boston. They took honest, advantage I, of uh, I don't Spezza. Think that there's, I don't think you can lay out a blueprint for rebuilding a team necessarily because you try to copy, you know, something like uh, you know, everyone like talks about Chicago and Pittsburgh and how they rebuilt through through repeated failure and then got then lucky. Find success. Well, then you look at. Well, that didn't work for the Oilers. Has not worked for the Oilers for years and years and years and years now. Never worked for the Capitals. And it didn't work for the Capitals. And then you look at really what happened in Chicago, where they had a significant change in ownership and philosophy. That's what the rebuild was. And they had the advantage of the low draft picks. In Pittsburgh, they just had Malkin and Crosby and a good run from Flurry. And being owned by Mario Lemieux, which people puts players wanted to play for. Yeah. So you it, so despite the fact that they had an unbalanced team, they still managed to win a cup. Uh I just think everyone looks for that blueprint, that magic formula to rebuild. But if you really start looking at how re- the successful rebuilds, there are significant catalysts that are very different for each organization. What about uh, like a team like the Kings? Because I don't know if you necessarily could say that they they rebuilt, but they were like kind of middling well, they, for they, they, so long. They had a, it's a philosophical thing for them. They, there's a very much a Kings philosophy, which I'm sure Dan is very familiar with, and they they built uh, you know very early on. From, with, with an actual eye for guys who generated a certain kind of offense, well, the and they Kings built around tend, that. The Kings were bad for a while, too. In, 27, in 2007, they drafted fourth overall. 2008, second overall, got Drew Doughty. Uh, 2009, uh, fifth overall, they got Braden Shin and Kyle Clifford in the first two picks and ended up trading off Shin. For, uh, Shin was part of the trade for Mike Richards, I believe. Yeah, because yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Wayne Simmons went the other way on that one, wasn't it? Correct. Simmons and yeah, for Mike Richards, which I wish they could. They probably wish they could do that one over again. Uh, no, I love yeah, me some Wayne Simmons. But yes, but since 2010, I mean, the, Dal- the, the Dallas Stars, the um, the earliest they've picked in the draft is 10th overall, they picked Valerian Natushkin. The Dallas Stars have never picked earlier than 10th, so that's a full mark to yeah, the Dallas but Stars. I, but they never hit rock bottom. No, I, I think, you know, I think you have to hit rock bottom to have being a rebuild. I think some teams acknowledge they're a rebuild in a very smart time when they're not absolutely terrible, and they say, but we're going to work on a rebuild. So I, I just think, talking about a blueprint... There is no blueprint for rebuild. Every successful rebuild is different in a in a really interesting cultural or philosophical way, or there's certain player advantages. And you know, this is very related, but also not related. There's an amazing Down Goes Brown article on this exact thing, uh, who they basically take rebuilding and makes it as like a muffin recipe. It's like, this, these are the ingredients that you need. This is how long you need to do it. This is like what you need to do and everything like that. And he goes through like the Kings and the Capitals, the Penguins, Chicago, Oilers. Um, it's a very funny article. I'd recommend everyone But it check makes it out. sense where yeah. you, you, the product is a muffin, but each mu- there's so many different varieties of muffins that you can't say that there's one say recipe right. for the best muffin, right? And but and again, c- kind of goes back where we say that this is uh, 
a way to rebuild. Like yeah. you have to be bad for a little bit, then you have to make a trade, and then you have to do this, and you have to do that. Maybe I, not necessarily I just, I, how it I works. I think the, the unifying aspect, you have to have some sort of, of uh, boldness in your organizational leadership that says that we can you know do something dangerous or something unconventional to put the team in in a strong direction um and that's like anything that's a risk that's a high risk type thing and and you see it play out especially when your team is backed by a lot of money because that's all the rebuilds that are successful they have two things they have a dynamic aggressive gm and they have money those those if you want what the recipe for for a, a a rebuild is it's money and boldness which the predators don't really have either and they don't, they don't have <laughs> they don't, a ton of money and they definitely don't have boldness tampa has that and look where they are they're one of the best run organizations in hockey i mean yeah. they're, they're sucking right now because everyone's injured but but you look at well, those other mm. teams that are rebuilding i mean i don't think you have a lot of boldness in in colorado you have old-time hockey values and but you have some money there edmonton we have to wait and see because the old regime did not Edmonton, have any yeah. boldness at yeah. all the, and now with Chiarelli in there we yet to be seen Dallas, Columbus Columbus no boldness but they have money but Dal- they have Dallas you money. have a little bit of money but you have a lot of boldness and I think that's that's the difference there you, mm-hmm. the, I mean yeah you have a very shrewd GM yeah Jim Nill has been excellent yeah and I think that's what it comes down to and I mean Lemieux definitely boldness and money the Kings boldness and money yeah I, I think that's the recipe you have to have a dynamic leadership and you have to have money i mean and that's 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 true in almost any business <laughs> if you have a bold leader with money you're gonna have some degree of success no i say it's a business it is it's well it's only a business during uh lockout years during cba years <laughs> or at the end of your contract other than that it's, yeah. it's just a it's just a fancy toy number three the nashville forward with the best shot attempts or coursey relative to the team <laughs> Do you know who this is? Barrett Jackman. No, the Nashville forward. Forward, okay. <laughs> Elite center Barrett Jackman. Here he comes. Sorry, I wasn't. He's still paid. coming. Hi, Chris. He's still skating. <laughs> um. Oh no, that was a that was a. Oh my like, He oh, called he me did, Chris he did with that a, a K. Times. And I'm gonna oh, reach across the. I didn't. I didn't hear. I didn't hear the K. Choke him. So do you got right off the top of your head? Do you know who what, what Nashville forward is the best uh, shot attempts relative to the team? Please the be. Please be. Callie Yarncroft. Nope. One at a time. Colin Wilson. No. Callie Yarncroft. No. Ah. Uh, Brett Lebda. No, no, he's a defenseman. Oh, Cody Hodgson. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cody, Cody. Oh, I'm sure there's a question. Yes, there is. Go. How can Cody Hodgson be used more effectively, or can he be more effective in this offense at all? I'm going to go ahead and declare that Cody Hodgson is the 2015-2016 Ollie Jokinen. Ollie Jokinen had a season of doing a lot of things right. Of, I mean, he may not have led the team in the same way in terms of generating offense. But every game, you're like, he's got to score this time. Look at him play. Mm-hmm. And he just couldn't do it, couldn't do it, couldn't do it. Coach Ho- Cody Hodgson strikes me the same way. I think he's more effective as an overall player. I think he brings more to the table. Um, mainly younger, better skater probably. But he just does everything, so many things right, but he just cannot seem to get it all put together, whether it's bad luck or whatever. He just seems to be this year's all yoke. Yeah, and I feel so bad for him because I was talking about this literal conversation just a couple of days ago and you watch him and you want him to do well and it looks like he's going to do well and even the past couple weeks uh, before he got scratched he was setting up his teammates and he was getting points on the board and everything like that I just I, I don't know if it's just a like a combination of the fact that he's moved around the lineup so much because he's playing center, he's playing wing, he's back to center, he's playing wing again and then he doesn't have a very um, set 
bunch of line mates. I mean, he was playing with Yarncroak for a little bit, and then Yarncroak went up, and then he was playing with um, like with, yeah, with Colton Sissons. Yeah. Actually, he was he had like a sixty percent shot. That whole yeah. that whole line it was uh, Sissons, uh, Hodgson, and uh, I think Wilson. Maybe not Wilson. Wilson or Arvidsson. Arvidsson. That's what yeah. it was. That line was killing it as far as uh, possession wise. And one of those things that if you just let that happen, good things are going to come out of it. But it doesn't yeah. seem like they the kind of like the wing depth that they have is. I mean, no one's really doing well on the wings right now for this team and that's going to transfer to your centers it's just yeah it's frustrating to watch because he has all these all the pieces he needs to be successful but for some reason they're just not coalescing and i don't know if it's through him or just through dumb chance like he's just a really unlucky player well as a a, just looking across the board for shot attempts or for uh, shooting percentages this year for the predators leading shoot leading shot percentage of the team of course is going to be mike ribero because it only takes obvious shots Mm. but uh forsberg's number two Forsberg's shooting percentage, while even strength this year, is at seven point eight five, which is actually, I mean, he could he could air up maybe half a percent, but he's a yeah. he's where he should be. James you know? Neal is normally well over ten percent, and uh, he even though he has fifteen goals, is right around seven and a half percent. It's good. I like see these are good numbers overall. Yeah, uh, Cody Hodgson shooting just over five. Kyle Wilson's actually raised up to almost to almost seven and a half percent. Ooh, he's well, he had he had a good past couple weeks over for you know on his. Please Scale. heat up, Colin. Please. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think the real question is, in the 2016-2017 season, does Cody Hodgson play in Switzerland or Sweden? Ooh. I, I just think it's in, and it it's one of those things where, for some reason, things just aren't working for him. Maybe he needs to get a refresher and just kind of get back to his game and find himself over in Europe for a year. So in all situations, James Newell is shooting close to around 11%. This is including power play numbers. Uh, Forsberg shooting just over 10%. Uh, Cody Hodgson, uh, 5.25%. Yeesh. <laughs> so not even the power plays really help. And if much. I remember correctly, this might have changed, but I remember looking at some uh, shot rate stats uh, not too long ago, and he was up there with uh, with Neil and Smith, I believe. I think he, Hodgson was actually the uh, second highest uh, shot producing forward per 60 minutes, uh, b- just below James Neal. Yeah, he, he's... He drives play pretty well. I mean, there's not uh, nothing really we can complain about him except his production is just bad. And some of that's not on him. Some is just the type of offense Nashville has right now. It just doesn't really work with him. I expect him to be this bigger body, just hang out right, hang out in front of the net, and he, he's just not doing it. See, I, mean, I don't know if that's something that the coaches have talked to him about or not. It's like maybe they don't want him to do that. I, I don't know why why they wouldn't, but yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like if they said, Cody, go stand in front of the net, I mean, at, at, at this, this point, point he's, he's, he's going to do, do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Cody's, Cody Hodgson's only played a total of 375 minutes this year. That's less than Paul Gostad. Oh, pardon, no, that's, no, no, take that back. That's just a shade more than Gostad. It's almost half as much as Philip Forsberg and James Neal. If you want playing time, kid. Stand in front of the net, just just be a backboard. That's all. You, all you got to be. Be a backboard. Team needs it. Team needs. Team it. needs Definitely someone needs to do it. it. Team needs it badly. We already talked about Kamenev, so I readjusted this. Uh-oh. Uh Number four with Jonathan Drouin uh, allegedly on the market. How will this affect the value of Ryan Johansson, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and other trade targets? Uh, I don't. I, I. I think GMs they may call, but I don't think. That it, it, you know, they would have, somebody have to put together a really notable package to pride Duran away. He's still got such a big upside. People kind of ignore how young he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really think he does very much because I don't think he's really available. Like, like 
the agent wants us to believe. I, I think the agent is Walsh is just trying to drum up business to see if he can't create a bit of a bidding war. But I really don't think Eisenman's that interested. Uh, he's probably more peeved at Walsh than anything else. Yeah, I don't I don't have any, anything else to say. I mean, if if you look at what Eisenman's done in the past, I mean, look at what they got in return for Marty St. Louis. And that was a rental player on the outs of his career. I mean, they're looking at a you know a top three draft pick who's still on an entry-level deal who, by all accounts, could be an elite winger and in his... Ryan Callahan, who is almost the heart and soul of that team. Right. Now, just another flashback from Tampa is that there was no player that got quite the reaction that Callahan did except for Stamkos. Allegedly, well, it's because, of course, mm. Palat and Johnson were out, of the, were out of the lineup at that point. But that fan base loves Ryan Callahan. Can I go back and forth on Ryan Callahan? He's a guy that you want on your Olympic team. On your Olympic team, yeah, but I just... <laughs> well, because the, the he, he, he's, Olympic team... This might be a conversation for another day, but he's one of those guys that is very dirty that does not get enough publicate, like publicity for it. He's one of those like, a, like, like very sneaky... Yeah. Well, Shane Doan's well, sneaky say, about it. He yeah, doesn't well, get called out for it. Shane Doan gets dirty about it, but like Ryan Callahan is very loose with his elbows. I'll just put it My that way. My dream lineup for the U.S. and the Olympics is uh, David Backus, Dustin Brown, and Ryan Callahan in one line. The other team would die. The SOB line. Absolutely. Love it. This is a big Dustin Brown fan over here, too. Uh, last question. And this is uh, this is probably a haymaker I've kind of kept in the holster for a while since uh, we left for Christmas break. Right now, Pecorine is not at the top of his game. He has not played his best hockey to date. We talked earlier about whether the Predators need to make a move for a rental player, make a move for kind of a win-now move, which is trading Seth Jones. Can Pecorine be trusted to pick up his game in order to justify a win-now move in 2016? Can Pecorine be trusted trusted to pick up his game in order to justify a win-now move? I'd say historically you probably would have to give him the benefit of the doubt just because the numbers that we've been seeing from him are very uncharacteristic. Like There's no precedent for how bad he has been playing. But on the flip side of that, he is getting older, he has been coming off injury, and he just he has not looked good. So, I mean, I I feel like you you have to. Like, he is your guy right now. Who else is there going to be? Hutton's not going to go in and take over the reins. Um, Soros is not nearly ready, I don't think, for I, full-time NHL duty. I, I, I think people are too cautious of goaltenders. I think if the goaltender at his age is it can you know puts up a season where he's looking really good and not just pure chance, you need to throw him in the fire if, he, if he's either going to make it or he's not. I mean, it, most of the goaltending the game these days is, is positioning and mental, and, and the athleticism is the added bonus on top. If Saros has the positioning, and he's sharp in his positioning, and he can track the puck, you might as well get him up to the, to the NHL as soon as possible. So would you put him into a playoff series? I don't think—I mean, I, I'm not saying put him in for the 2016, end of the, the 2015-2016 season. Mm-hmm. I, I think you absolutely cast your lots behind Pecorino. I think, I th- I don't, I think what— you need to do for him is to get him a, a better backup goaltender, spend the money and bring in a better better backup goaltender so you can really dial back the number of games Pekka's playing. Um, 
and keep him better rested and let him heal and maintain what he needs to heal and maintain and maybe do something not quite to the degree of what Ken Hitchcock does with the Blues, but you you take care of him so that he's ready to go when you need him to go and and you and he needs to then step up and be honest about when he's ready to go when he's not feeling if he's not feeling sharp, get him more games so he can sharpen up. Yeah, and. Of course, the like you know Hutton hasn't been playing bad this season, relatively speaking. Um, but Will, I s- like Willie Mitchell's having a good year. Carter a- Hutton. Yeah. Well, exactly, be- exactly, <laughs> and that uh, again, that that's a huge caveat. On I, that. I'd say the, the biggest caveat is he, there's not been a significant Pecorini injury this season, like there has been for the past two, where Carter Hutton has had to play extensively because that's where we tend to really grab in Carter Hutton is when he has to start a whole bunch of games. Right, well, but I Link, I thought that he plays better when he gets more starts. He plays fine for like two starts in a row in that third game. It just I am still so mad that uh, David Poyle didn't go out and sign Thomas Grice. I was about to say, I was actually back, had a whole you know rant prepared I've... on Thomas Grice you because probably... he's the perfect backup goaltender. The Islanders this year have one of the best safe percentages in the entire league. Dan, if Dan had no life and infinite time and hated himself a little bit, he could probably go back through the past four years of Predcast and do a super cut of me saying the Predators need to sign Thomas Grice. I do like Thomas Christ a lot, and because he's doing um, doing all right right now, Halak he's basically their starter right now. Yeah, Halak's been in, blocks hurt on his annual injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll be back though. Yeah, what what was so wrong with Halak that the Blues needed to trade him? We'll never understand. They're the Blues. What? I said, what was so wrong with Halak that the Blues needed to trade him? It's the Blues. Him. I mean, you, you look how they treat goaltenders. Who would want to sign as a goaltender in St. Louis other than Marty Baron? Yeah. Martin Brodeur. Martin Brodeur. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, no, I stand by him with Baron, even though he never played there. Yeah. Sorry, huge, he, he, huge Marty Baron fan. He he probably did. I mean, he, he did so many stints. They both speak yeah. French, it's, whatever. They'll still add him on like, their Wall of Fame or their Ring of Honor or whatever. <laughs> now that I've said it, they're already adding it in. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh. We heard a guy in a podcast say that Baron played it for us. Someone get him a, a jersey quick. It's like, did he? Uh, we don't know. Yeah. Probably. How long? I mean, do we have a do we have a sign somewhere that says this this many days since Link messed up a player name? <laughs> It's at, I think twice today. Has it been twice today already? Hey, you have, I haven't said Granberg yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, this week we've got uh, three games on our docket. Uh, got a home game tomorrow night against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, got a back-to-back Colorado and Glendale uh, Friday and Saturday. <laughs> Not even Arizona anymore, just Glendale? Yeah. Yeah, I don't give I, Glendale the recognition that they do not what? deserve. You're right. You're right. They're playing Phoenix on Saturday. All right. You know, because they're going to be back to being the Phoenix Coyotes in a couple years anyways, and good on them for it. So this week, uh, Jets, not a great team. Colorado, also not a great team. And the Coyotes, which are better than average, but they play in the Pacific, so still not a great team. Uh, it's real easy for us to sit here and say they need to pick up all three, but um, it is hockey. These are the Predators. Two zero one one. Well, you're right. They need to pick up all three. They desperately need to pick up all three. They do. And, and I think these are. I mean, they could win all three of these games. I think they're. Capable. They should win all three of these games. Looking at it like on yeah. paper. If they make it through January, and still with this six put six point cushion they have in the playoffs, I'll be incredibly happy. They only have three home games in the month of January. But so, if I remember correctly, Winnipeg and Colorado are the two in direct competition with them under the standings, right? Correct. They play Winnipeg three times this month. Yeah. So I mean that's they they if they if they went one and two and but one against Winnipeg, I think I would even be all right with that. But they they really need a win against Winnipeg, absolutely. Uh they need to put Colorado in their place again because they had that 
embarrassing game against them uh, last month. And then Phoenix, Arizona, that's garbage time. They can do whatever they want there. I won't be upset with the loss in, in, in Arizona. Uh, chances are that's when Hutton's going to be playing anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Link, anything on that one? On that one? Which on, one? On this week. Oh, this week? I, I really just, you know, not even not even prediction time because you know how I feel about predictions in general. I just think the team needs to be, as, as not that they're never not focused on trying to win every game, but these are three games that they should win, that they need to win, that they have to win. Uh, and, you know, if, if they go out there and the team doesn't have that drive behind them, if they're not trying to find a way to be creative in the offensive zone and try to pick up the pace of the passing um, with, with, I mean, there's a lot they need to do to, to fix their offense and, and to not have all of their high danger shots be block shots. Uh, so I'm going to be looking more to see how that offense adjusts against some weaker teams to see if they can't be invent something new and, and come up with a way to, to, to break through. Of course, how they started in Carolina is not a, good sign but it's, we'll, it's we'll not, see how that but, goes you know they tend to be a little erratic they'll go through the team will go through a couple games and they'll do a great too. job carolina is also one of the better defensive teams in the league as far as limiting shots go they are a that's one thing that they do they do have a good strength in they're just not a great team anywhere else and they are they're go, they're depending on eddie lack to win games Ugh. yeah that, that's not going to get far with that strategy all right. Um, anything else before we close up the book on this episode? This is a heavy, heavy show, guys. Really good. No, I don't think so. I didn't mean to be so mean to Carolina fans. No, if, if that came off like that. I don't think that. No, I. I mean, I'm I happy to be. Really mean. Mean. No, I'll be happy to mean be mean to anybody's fans. Are you mean to somebody's fans? Be mean to mm. Carolina fans. Really. Well, I mean, like you know, in their home arena and everything. I feel like I came off a little bit too hard. I mean, their third rate, the third rate Carolina barbecue. Is that the problem that they have? You know, I actually did not have any barbecue there. I'll tell you this right now. That vinegar-based barbecue sauce is, is not very good. <laughs> and don't get me started on that mustard sauce either. I went to a barbecue restaurant, but it was only to meet up with someone, and then I didn't eat anything. And that was going to be our dinner for Saturday night. And we went to Chapel Hill to get biscuits instead. Oh. Chicken biscuits. Good? Oh, yeah. It's like this little shack. I think it was called like Sunrise Biscuit Cafe. It was... Um, Probably about as big as this room right here. This room is not hugely large. Oh, yeah. I got one thing we can close up with because this was actually a specific request from the comments section. This would be a nice way to end the show. Uh, I put it out today that, uh, you know, it's, we're going to be uh, we're gonna be recording tonight. It's been kind of funny because with our, you know, topics that we had today. Um, one, of our, uh, one of our writers, uh, looks like it's B. Farish uh, 05. Uh, he says his, his family is moving back to Nashville this year, so he wanted to kind of get us some uh, good oh, talk yeah. about this. And uh, I'm glad you asked this. Um, he did. He had liked our segment we did a while ago about the best place to get lunch in town. So let's do this one. Um, for the three of us here, uh, what is your favorite place uh, to um, get a cocktail or best best uh, brewery to go around here? Best, what was this? A brewery, distillery, uh, favorite place to uh, just go, ha- just go well, grab a drink in town? I'm, I mean... I'm a. Uh, I'm just talking about breweries. I'm a colossal fan of uh, Black Abbey, of course. Yes, sir. All Belgian style, uh, very flavorful, very rich, very complex beers. Huge, huge fan. Um, and then, you know, I'm not a. I'm not a, really a pale ale person, but but Sans stuff has been. Uh, the new stuff that's been coming out from them has been really good as well. So Their IPA good. is also very. Well, I don't delicious. like that. Pale ales are just the worst. Um, but everything else they make is great. Disagree with you 100%. But 
pale ales are like the easiest beer to make. So like uh, you'll see a lot of like microbrews that'll be like their first beer they come out with the pale mm-hmm. ale. Well, it's because it also doesn't have to taste good. You just load it with hops. Yeah, pretty much. But what's your favorite place to just grab a drink in town? Uh, I don't really drink much. So that's hard to say. Um, you know, I mean, locally, if I'm just like in the Donaldson Hermitage area, I'll run over to, to Homegrown Taproom very happily. They only sell local local beers uh, made in Nashville, in the Nashville area uh, almost exclusively. So that's really nice, and it's close by. Okay. It's brand new, too, so that's good. Oh, well, check it out. So we could probably dedicate an entire episode with this for me, but I'll be very quick. Um, I love Yazoo. I love I love their Gerst. Like, their their tap room is a little eh on the me. Heffy, um, the Hefeweizen. Uh, I'm not a Hefeweizen fan oh. at all. Um, so, uh, yeah, like, Belgians, I take her, take her, take it or miss. Um Jackalope, great place to go, and their their great. tap room is awesome with the board game. Room. Oh, they've it's got like board games. From, uh, yeah, it's on the oh, same street. Okay. Actually, if so, like Tennessee Brew Works, Jackalope, uh, uh, Yazoo, um, I think Little Harpeth, they're all like within that like Tennessee little Brewworks, area. Tennessee um, I'm always they like some good I, beers. they slip right out of my mind, but then I have one of their beers. And I'm like, this is really pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite place to get a drink? Uh, well, my favorite place is you know this is the Hop Stop just because it's right down the street from my my house because they've got tons and tons and tons of beer like some of the best selection in the city and then there are a couple of places where you can where I fill up my growlers um, the first one is um, the filling station in East Nashville which is right across from Edley's and they've got marked local beers all over the place there and then they've got a very good selection and then Craft Brood in Berry Hill is another great place that has a little bit more of a selection than filling station does for cocktails um, if you could stand the atmosphere Pinewood Social actually does make a very good cocktail I, hey I adore the 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 atmosphere there. I love so I love Pinewood Social. I mean, I have got I've got no problems going with there. Actually, I do like and, their food too. If yeah, you want to spend the money for it, it's it's just enough pretense for me not to be uncomfortable. Right. Um, so Pinewood Social is one, and then Holland House right next to the pharmacy is another great place to get a uh, get a cocktail. My but, favorite place is the drinks. Actually, the beer garden at a pharmacy. In the backyard, they have like this nice little like courtyard area. Mm-hmm. Really cool place to go. Uh, the rooftop at Acme Feed and Seed. It's the beer is okay, but formerly Chuck's. But you get an awesome view. Uh, it's good sushi. The brewery that's over next to uh, next to it, Rock Bottom, I believe it's now. Awesome rooftop bar. Uh, they make their own beer there as well. Uh, ML Rose. We kind of want like a dark kind of seedy place just to kind of you know disappear for a little bit. Uh, that's tough to beat. And um, if I'm gonna go with cocktails, I know it's a chain. I really don't care. Bar Louie and the Gulch. Really good cocktails. I think I went to a bar Louis that won Capitals game I was talking about before the playoffs. So mm-hmm. it's been three years. The one of the Gulch I really like just because they have like this outdoor flame set up. Yeah, that, that actually the table on a, on a you know chilly night. The the the, the fi- little fire table is actually kind of nice. Yeah, we did a show there, you and I and Chris one time. Uh, that was like some time ago. Yeah. That was some time ago. They have a, they have a whiskey list. That's always good. Ooh, yeah. But you can never go wrong with just having a beer at Martin's, like because they have like all the Tennessee beers. No, just I mean I, w- that's one of the great things about this city is if you're going to get like local food, they've also got local beer there. Hey, Travel and Leisure magazine rated us the number one destination by their readers. We beat Cuba, we beat Paris, Nashville, Tennessee. Awesome. Yeah. Take that, Paris. Yeah. What was up with that, St. Louis? <laughs> Don't mention St. Louis in the same vein as Nashville as far as culture ever again. I won't. Okay. You can find him on Twitter at 3D Link. You can find John on Twitter at JGarcia36. You can find myself at Dan D. Bradley. You can find the show at On the Four Check. Uh, any last words? 
No. Okay. I'm good. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been the Fredcast brought to you by OnTheForeCheck.com and Lionzone Internet Marketing Solutions. <laughs>